Well, good morning, church. My name is Chris. I want to welcome you to Metro Life Church, and thank you for being with us this morning. I know there's many other places you could be, especially on a beautiful summer day like this, but isn't it good, even as we've experienced already in worship together, to be gathered with the people of God, looking to Him together, and magnifying His name. That, that's actually a, a part of the open of our psalm today, and if you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bible or open up your app to Psalm chapter 30, Psalm chapter 30, and as you're doing so, I want to just draw your attention to a resource. Uh, we wanted to take a couple of weeks to make sure that we had been in communication with the publisher of this resource uh, to get the appropriate permissions to reproduce this for you as a church, but uh, Chip Chu, one of our deacons, and, and can I just stop here and just say I am so grateful, not just for Chip, but how our deacons and elders carry you as a church throughout the week. And so Chip came across this resource and, and he kind of brought it to my attention and I think that's just such a model of how their heart is for you as a church. Uh, it, it doesn't all rely on me and I'm so grateful for that, that we have a team that is functioning, but more than that, I love how they love you as a church and I think there's something encouraging for all of us in that. But he came across this resource from a, from a, a group called Common Good and it's called Write Your Own Psalm of Lament and you know that we're in the midst of a summer in the Psalms series right now. And so it just has a brief article on the front side and then uh, just how to process whatever you're walking through and how to kind of step-by-step go through and pray your own Psalm of Lament. And I've used this over the last few weeks as we've been getting the permission to reproduce this materials for you. And I've just found it to be a wonderful tool and I think it even complements some of what we'll be looking at in Psalm chapter 30 together today. So I wanted to draw your attention to that. It's on the table as you make your way out of our service today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that this is a day not only that you've made but that you desire to meet with us. And what we pray right now, Holy Spirit, is that we would encounter you even as we see a God intervention in the midst of David's life, may we have an intervening encounter with you today. Holy Spirit, that's what we pray for. We want to not just see these words, we want to experience the blessing of these words in our own life. But we recognize we can't just make that happen in our own strength. God, how we need you. May we experience you today. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to bring you a little bit into my week this week as a way to maybe kind of help set the stage for uh, what I think we all experience in terms of the highs and lows of life. Many families at mealtime will have time together where they say, what was the high, what was the low point of your day? What was the good or the bad that you experienced today? And maybe just as a family we can do that, and I'll just bring you into my own schedule. So my alarm clock went off at 3.30 a.m. on Monday morning because our Alive leaders thought that was the best time to leave for camp. And so I, I found myself waking up praying unique and disturbing blessings on them. It was an early, early start to the week, and, and it, I'm not the only one that experienced that. There were other parents kind of dragging themselves and their teens here and Alive leaders, thank you for, oh, thank you for this week. Thank you for this week. <clears throat> it was also a stark reminder that I just completely forgot to pray for them last Sunday. So that's just a great way to start the week where you're like, oh, look what you missed. 3.30 in the morning. That night we went and Stephanie and I had a uh, premarital appointment and, and our week just kind of got rolling like that. Tuesday morning started with what I thought was going to be one hospital visitation and it 
ended up being two hospital visitations, kind of back-to-back in the same hospital. Uh, What a joy to be able to be there with people in those moments. But there's a burden that comes in those moments. There's a weight to that. And so here's the joy of sending my daughter off to camp and, and praying for the things that's going to happen and then the reality of things that we're facing in life where we're not sure what the diagnosis or the prognosis is going to be. Perhaps in your own ways you've had those kinds of highs and lows. The week continued. We had meetings here in the office, different things, just working through administratively. Uh, Stephanie and I had a wedding out of town, kind of a destination wedding up in Gainesville. I had the opportunity to go see my dad's internment, uh, which is the first time I've been able to be back since his passing about a year and a half ago. And undergirding all of that was Shark Week. (laughs) See, there are highs and lows we face in life, aren't there? Shark Week became this kind of cathartic thing where it was like, let's just see these fools get in the water and see what's going to happen. And they always build it up and nothing ever happens, so that's no fun. I root for the sharks. But we know those moments, don't we? Highs and lows. And all throughout the Psalms, we've, we've been talking about this kind of theme of dependence and trust in the Lord. More than that, we've talked about kind of explicitly what does it look like for us as an individual to utilize the Psalms as a tool to process our own circumstances, maybe our own responses to them. We've talked about what does it look like to be the person that can say, I I need help working through this and to turn to a trusted voice around us. But you know, I, I think that there's sometimes a hesitancy to be that trusted voice for somebody else. We feel like we're ill-equipped. We're not sure what to do. We don't know how to be there for someone. And so maybe there's this sense of, I I long to be that trusted voice that somebody can reach out to, but I shrink back because I don't know what to do. I think Psalm 30 speaks to all of that today. It speaks to all of that today. And so we begin in verse 1. Let's read together. Psalm 30, verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Let's just pause there for a moment. We're going to get through the whole chapter today, but we're going to pause there for just a moment. Maybe maybe it's An interesting thing to think about, this is David that this psalm is attributed to, and it's it's a song that if you have the header in your Bible or in your app, you may see that it says that it's a song of dedication at the temple. Well, if they're gathering at the temple, it seems like they would already think that God is great. Why is it that David would start with, I extol you? In other words, I'm going to acknowledge your greatness, I'm going to sing and declare your greatness amongst the people. Well, it's because he's giving us a heads up. When I'm through saying what I'm going to say, you're going to think about God's greatness in a new way. How often do we approach the scripture and just think we're kind of working through maybe our daily reading plan? Maybe we're gathered together and this is the first time that you've had your Bible open all week and you just think, I already know that God is great, Chris. Let's move on to something else. Can we move on to God is good and let us thank him for our food? Can we move on to those parts can we, can we get to something else? And David says, we're going to start at the place that God is good because I'm about to blow the walls out of your thinking about how good God is. Because, you see, I was in the pit 
I needed to be drawn up and not let my foes rejoice over me. I've wrestled with how many of our psalms acknowledge enemies or foes. Perhaps the translation that you're reading this morning doesn't use the word foes. It says, you have not let my enemies rejoice over me. And so I did a little bit of looking this week and study and just, Lord, how do we connect today to this idea of enemies? I think we can watch the nightly news. I think we can read the news in whatever source that you read it from. And it's very easy for us to see what might be this sense of global enemies. We might even see local things that we want to be wary of, local crime or things like that. But, but it seems like Scripture is using this term in, in a unique way. And yet it's, it's applicable to us today. So how is it that we learn from the idea of a nation's enemy in the nation of Israel and apply that to our lives today? Perhaps it's helpful for us to understand that in the context of the original language of Hebrews, enemies would not only be those who were against the people of God, the the chosen nation of God, but there was an enemy within themselves as well. The word had a tremendous breadth to the nuance of it. And this is where I think that it it becomes very applicable for us today. Not only is it those that you might have that that antagonist at work, you might have that, that relationship in your family or a friendship that they're just constantly picking at your faith. And certainly that is a foe or an enemy of your faith. We have an enemy of our soul in Satan. As we seek to live our lives for the kingdom of God, there is a real enemy of our soul that Scripture acknowledges, but there is an enemy within as well. And this phrase, enemies, actually brings about a connotation of the covenant of God. You see, David in the rest of this psalm is going to reference the favor of God. The beauty of the covenant that we have with him with God as our maker, with God as our savior, is that there are both blessings and curses for living in obedience to the covenant that we've been drawn into by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we think about enemies, we should consider ourselves. Now here's where there's a challenge for us. David is going to acknowledge sickness in just a moment. Can I be clear? When I begin a hospital visitation, The first words out of my mouth walking into the hospital room are not, what is the sin in your life that has landed you in this hospital room? I don't think that's very good pastoral care. Your laughter tells me you don't either. I think that's a wrong place to start, and yet it's exactly what David acknowledges is going on in his circumstance. His illness is related to his own sin, stepping out of the favor of the goodness of his relationship with God. So let's not ignore that either. The sickness that we face can be a consequence of sin that we've walked through in life, but it shouldn't be a starting place for us. More than that, as we consider, remember we kind of started with considering enemies of God. As we consider his goodness and his blessings, there is a clear delineation between those who are in the household of God, those who are in the family of God, and those who are in the favor and obedience of his ways. And those who are not. There is a clear line of delineation of those who are the Lord's and those who are his foes. Which camp do you stand in today? Where is it that you find yourself today? You see, David is acknowledging his need for salvation from sickness. It makes me think of the words from Isaiah chapter 53 
that by the stripes of the one who will come, and we know that today to be Jesus, by the stripes of the one who will come, we are what? Healed. That healing is a restoration, primarily the restoration of the relationship, the right relationship with God. And it's powerful enough to bring actual physical healing by our Creator today as well. It gives us a whole new framework to begin to think through. Are the things that I'm walking through, the circumstances that I'm facing, maybe even the crises that I find myself in the midst of, are they due to those who are just against my faith or are they something that's coming from within? Something where this is revealing something about where my dependence has been all along. And we're going to see that a bit more in just a few moments. But I want to draw the attention here, not just to the foes not rejoicing over him, but the salvation that comes from this very simple act. I cried, verse 2 says, to you for help, and you healed me. This is where we see God so plainly intervening in the life, not of the king of Israel, of his son. God's intervening power in his life. David is not only acknowledging that his illness and his sickness is coming from something that is very much within his own heart. He is acknowledging that his salvation does not come from within either. Yours and my salvation today do not come from anything that we do or say. No, they come from the Lord. And he is the one who can heal us. As verse 3 goes on to say that brings our soul up from Sheol. This is oftentimes in the Hebrew how hell or eternal separation from God is referred to. Those who go down to the pit. Historically that would have been how they would have dealt maybe with illness or dead bodies in the day that there would have been a place that they would go into and so David is acknowledging my sickness had me on death's door now we're not given any indication what it is that he was walking through we're not given any indication as to the things that were going on around here what we're given indication to is that David is recognizing something within himself that he cannot save himself from that only God can save him from and then what does he do well he he begins by having this sense of praise for the healing that he receives. He's praising God for the intervening grace in his life. And then in verses 4 and 5 we'll read how he is calling others around him to join in the joy of his healing and salvation. Let's continue to read Psalm chapter 30, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry the night, but joy comes with the morning. He's calling those that would hear in this place of the temple, in the dedication of the temple, he's calling all of those to say, look at what the Lord has done and join me in rejoicing. This is where we begin to realize that this is where the walls are kind of being blown out of people's thinking when it comes to the greatness of God. And he is saying, join me in my joy that it may become your joy as well. You know, I think that there's, that's something that is a wonderful part of gathering together with the church. When you're able to see and hear those around you that you know are walking through a variety of things and you see them singing something like, not for a moment was I forsaken the Lord is in this place. Well, there's something that's holy about that moment, isn't there? 
See, their eyes are lifted above their circumstances. Their eyes are lifted beyond what it is that they are facing today into a day that is coming. A day of their true salvation when they'll be with the Lord. Sing praise to the Lord, his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. For what? For his salvation. For me and for you. And you know, I've wrestled with this verse this week. His anger is but for a moment. This is one of those places where we see that that God actually does have a holy and righteous judgment and wrath and anger towards sin. His anger lasts for a moment. Where do we see that wrath so clearly displayed? It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. See, we stand knowing these things today. We can know these things today. These were not tools that David had, and yet he is still rejoicing in the goodness of God. What is it that is sin that his anger would burn toward? Well, it's anything in our lives, in our hearts, in the way that we think, in the things that drive us, in the things that we give our hands and our bodies to that would be against the purposes of the Lord. His anger is but for a moment But through Jesus Christ, his favor lasts for a lifetime. You know, oftentimes when we preach, we talk about how restrained the wrath of God is. There are many verses that point to that. That he withholds his wrath, but he pours out his mercy toward us. And we know through the cross of Jesus Christ that his wrath was poured out in full for you and for me. Christ stands as a substitute in my place. He receives the punishment that I deserved. He died the death that I deserve to die. Why? So that I can experience the favor that lasts a lifetime. How wonderful. How good the Lord is to us. And what does David say in light of that? Join me in the joy and singing of this Savior. But he doesn't stop there. It's almost as if he gets to verse 2 of the song. He gets to another verse of the song and he he begins to spell out the crises for us a little bit more. The crisis of sickness that he is going to walk through. Let's read together beginning in verse 6, Psalm chapter 30. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But your favor, O Lord, by your favor, you made me a mountain, stand strong. But you hid your face and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry and to the Lord I pled for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Good answer, by the way. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You know, here's where we begin to understand the crisis and how the depths of what David was walking through. What is the crisis in your life today? I think this is what Darren was prophetically drawing our attention to during worship. What is the crisis that you're facing today? Perhaps it's one of those things that that isn't related to illness. Perhaps it's one of those things that's related more to your vocation or something happening with a relationship in your life. And it's revealing something about the foundation of your trust. It's revealing something about where it is that your hope lies. And in the midst of that crisis, you're actually realizing, I have had an overconfidence in this thing rather than a confidence in the Lord. Where are you overconfident in the things of the world? 
And this is what the good news is in the midst of our sinful hearts being revealed, those things being revealed that, that, re, that show us what it is that our trust is in. We can turn and cry to the Lord and plead for his mercy. And every time his answer is yes. What David is speaking of here is the act of repentance. He's speaking of the act of repentance. That's acknowledging something going on in your life and then turning the opposite direction to walk away from those things and toward the Savior, the one who pours out his mercy, the one who received that wrath on our behalf and pours out his favor toward us today. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. You know, David's refrain in this is actually a well-practiced refrain of confession and repentance. For those who are in Jesus Christ, those who have, who have acknowledged their sin before him, those who have said, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, my King, the one I will follow with my life. We can learn something from David's life here, the pattern in David's life. To cry out, to acknowledge our sinfulness before him, and to receive the mercy so freely given to us. See, Psalm chapter 30 takes us well beyond the crisis of diagnosis, prognosis, or sickness. Those moments where we feel as if there is no other place to turn for our health. And it actually applies to so much of what we walk through in life. We begin to see how it applies to those moments where something about our confidence in our vocation or our bank account or our relationships. Anytime that you hear words like cancer or heart disease and you realize there's this fear that wells up inside of you. That there is a mercy greater than that fear available to you in that moment. That there is a kindness and a favor from the Lord. And it actually points to something quite beautiful about the Lord. He will heal those who are his. That healing may not come this side of heaven. But it will reveal his greatness either way. Do we believe that? Do we have a confidence in that? Or are we placing an overconfidence in the things that we face in life? You know, he goes on to say in verse 9, what does it profit in my death? There's this interesting moment here where he is almost saying to the Lord, almost daring him to heal him. Why? So that he can declare the goodness of God. What is this? This is David saying, I want to testify of your greatness. I want to tell others of your greatness. You know, there's something beautiful about walking in to a hospital visitation and everybody on the floor knows who I'm there to visit. That is a testimony of the greatness of God. When I walked into one of the rooms the other day, I thought I was walking into a party. There was laughter coming out of the room. That is a confidence. Not in the white coats walking in, and I'm grateful for the grace of God for doctors and nurses and first responders. But that is a confidence in the God who has led them to that place. Do we have that confidence, church? This is where we're being equipped, even if we're not walking through something right now. We're being equipped to know how to respond when those moments come in life. We're being equipped to know how it is to walk with someone in those moments in life. 
God is training us to be his people and to respond rightly in those moments. So today, if you're not facing something in your life, be prepared by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with one another and to preach to your own soul. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful. O Lord, be my helper. Let's continue as we look at the last two verses and the relief that comes to David through the restoration of his relationship. You have turned my mourning into dancing, it says in verse 11. You have loosed my sackcloth and you've clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. You know, this is one of those moments where we come to the place of understanding that David is using language that must be supernaturally inspired because what he knew of the covenants of God, what he knew of the Messiah to come, what he knew of the power of the Holy Spirit, what he would know of the resurrection to come would have been quite limited. And yet you and I are not without those tools, those waypoints in in the redemptive history of God's work and his plan throughout Scripture. We're not without those. We, We have those and we can look to those things even now. I consider something like 1 Corinthians 15 where it goes on to say, Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It says in 1 Corinthians 55. 15.55. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, Paul says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to instruct us in the way that we should stand, in the way that we should live, and the way that we should not be moved by the circumstances that we walk through. And yet, church, I'll acknowledge, it's very easy to be moved by the circumstances we walk through. So, back to the calendar a little bit. Those moments in between. Maybe not Shark Week as much, but it was fun to see. Those moments where I'm standing at my dad's graveside. Where does this matter? Death doesn't sting anymore. Oh, I miss him terribly. Fiercely. But it doesn't sting. As we were walking away, and I apologize if this seems inappropriate, I told him to just stay right there. But he's not going to stay there. No, this is where we can walk ourselves through the truth of the gospel. There will come a day where dad will not stay there. Because he'll join us in glory. Singing around the throne of God. What about those moments at a wedding? Oh, that's joyful. That's wonderful. That wedding is but a glimpse of the wedding feast to come. See, this is how the gospel begins to become something very practical in our lives. And it allows us not to be so caught up in the moments of life that we forget to live for the glory of the one who gave his all for us. What about those moments where you're just working through administrative details? Maybe even just the annoyance of what seems like the mundane of every day. Do you know that there's a glorious purpose in our work? What is it? Well, verse 9 answers that question by asking us some. What profit is there in your death? 
In other words, will you be able to tell the story when you die? No. Tell of his faithfulness today. Tell others around you of his goodness to you. What good is there if you were to go down to the pit? What good is there when you become dust? Will the dust be able to praise? Will it be able to tell of his faithfulness? No, you can do that today. You can speak of the goodness of God to those relationships around you. You can tell of how he has saved you from yourself. What glorious purpose that fills even the most mundane of moments with. One of our prophetic team here at the church this week, she wasn't able to be here today. I wish that Debbie was able to be here with me standing to to share this with you. She gave me permission this morning to to share, so excuse me as I, I look at the text that she sent this week. As God was working in her heart in a sense that this was for us as a church this week, What is he working in her heart? Well, after we looked at Psalm chapter 23 last week, this is what she shared. I went for my follow-up appointment yesterday. She's broken her ankle just a few weeks ago on July 4th. The doctor said it was healing as expected, and it was time for me to start putting weight on it. He said, let the pain be my guide as to how much weight I do each day, but it's necessary for the continued healing. The weight on the injury signals the bone to grow and to heal what is broken. To not do that would to prolong the healing that is needed. And this is the metaphor that jumped out at me. Written in my journal today, I am broken hearted, she says, in many areas of my life. I'm tired, I'm tempted to quit. But continuing to take the next painful step is what I need the most. The Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me exactly where I need to go. It is his voice I follow, not how this step makes me feel, because pain and fear are liars. I will trust in the path that God has set before me, focusing on his leading alone. And then she says this prayer, protect me from doubting your goodness. You are good even when my circumstances aren't. This is a test to see where and to whom my heart is attached. To God alone or to my comfort. We must choose. And our choice is evident by how we take the next step through the valley of shadows. Whether in anger, fear, or faith. Church, what is the crisis that's revealing your confidence today? What is the thing that is revealing where you place your trust? What is the thing that you're walking through that is calling you to turn to your Savior for mercy and help of time of need? You know, we're not without the tools that David didn't have. We have knowledge of the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior. We have knowledge of His ascension and now being seated at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding, both intervening in our lives with His salvation and interceding, praying before God the Father, saying, they're mine. How good our God is. 
It, it begins to help us understand how it is that David says, you think you know of the goodness of God? Let me tell you a little something about the goodness of God. I'm going to extol him in the midst of the people. And I want to call you to join with me in that. You know, Jesus gives us tools as well to rejoice in his blessing. 1 Corinthians 15 points us to the truth of the resurrection of our Savior. Not only did he go down into the pit, not only did he defeat death, sin, and hell, and the grave, all four of them combined, not only does that overwhelm and overcome the sting of death, not only does that save us from our sinful actions, our sinful attitudes, our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, not only does it take us away from the transgression against the things of God, not only does it rescue us from those things, but it provides a tool for us as we wait for the day that he will return again. You see, David had eternity in in his mind. It's there. Did, Did you notice it in Psalm chapter 30? Just look back with me briefly. Psalm chapter 30, there's just a couple of verses here. It says this, you restored me to life in verse 3. That life that he's talking about is not just this life, it's beyond the grave. Verse 5, his anger is but for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. That lifetime is not just going to take him to the grave, it's going to lead him into the throne room of grace that is saving him right then. When he's crying out and saying, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. When he's saying, Lord, be my helper, it's what informs him in verse 12 to be able to say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. When? Today? Tomorrow? No, forever. See, eternity is on the heart of David. Eternity is on our hearts. And eternity is secured for us through Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who has the power over death and the grave. As a matter of fact, when we celebrate communion, and if we're, as we prepare our hearts to do that even now, if you would like to participate in communion and didn't get any of the elements, please just raise your hand simply now. Our ushers will bring those around to you. But as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, can I draw our attention to this, that in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as Paul is giving instruction to the church, and he is saying, this is what it should look like when you gather together as people, and as you receive these elements of communion together, it's that, in verse 26, it says, as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink of this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. How can you proclaim death over someone who's coming again? If they don't have the power over death. You can't. What Paul is instructing us in is where we have eternity on our hearts, where we are burdened by those things, where we want our lives to be for the glory of God until he returns. Paul is saying this is how you receive of that. Christ is in his instruction is giving us tools to be able to rejoice and be satisfied in this day in his work. To be reminded of how it is that he has not sent us to the pit. To be reminded of how it is that he is not sending us to death in the grave. And to be reminded of how it is that he alone is the one who will return again and take us home with him. And we are going to proclaim his death in this way.